Welcome to the LifePoint Palm Bay Sermon Podcast. We encourage you to make copies of this message, but please don't charge for those copies. If you'd like to know more about LifePoint Palm Bay, please visit LifePointPB.com. All right. And if you would take your Bible and turn with me over to Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11. If you need a Bible, just wave. Our ushers are there. Come down the aisle, just wave at them. Say, hey, I could use a Bible. Maybe you left yours at home or somewhere. Mark chapter 11, we're going to continue in our series, Apps for the Modern World, and I'm going to actually be talking about this subject matter for the next two weeks. Um, Today, we're going to talk about the why of what we're getting into. Next week, we're going to talk about how, all right? Mark chapter 11, I'm going to just dive right in. Join with me in verse... 17, yeah, you know, as you get older, your the print gets harder to read, you know? All right, Mark eleven seventeen. 17. It says, and he was teaching them and saying to them, is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations? But you have made it a den of thieves or a den of robbers. The, the background of this story is Jesus has come, this is actually right after his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Um, that had happened the day before. He'd gone back out to Bethany. He'd come back into town. And as he's there in the temple, he notices something that had become very prevalent in Israel in that day around the temple. And that is that many people had discovered that religion is a money-making business. Doesn't sound very different than today. That many had decided, you know what? Because people are sincere in their desire to pursue God and to come after him, and there is a um, there's a desire to be close to God and to be pleasing to God. And there are certain things that the law did require of them. So we'll just make it easy for them and we'll sell it right here on the, on the premises or just outside. They couldn't do it in the temple. But just outside, we will sell the things that they will do, sacrifices, different things. They might need. And then they begin to say, you know, this is so great. There's some other things that would be nice to have. And it became a very money-making it was a big deal, very commercial affair as you were moving toward the temple and coming into the outer portico of the temple. Jesus sees this in his heart. He's burdened. He has what we like to call righteous indignation. He's upset over it. And he says, you have perverted. And he's really upset, I think, primarily at religious leaders because you have perverted what the Father has intended for a place for his people to gather and to call on his name And you've turned it into a place to make money. You've turned it into something for your own personal benefit. This passage years ago really stood out to me in two ways. And I'm not going to go into one of them. That one is to be very, very careful about merchandising the work of God and the power of God and the house of God and what God does. Be very, very careful about that. And sometimes I may tend to go the other way too far. But it is something that God stirred in my heart years ago to be very, very careful about that. The other part of this, though, is my house should be called a house of prayer. And I was sharing with the group as we were praying this morning, 15 years ago, 9-11, we gathered as a church, like many churches, that we, we opened the doors that night, many people came and we prayed, cried out. We tend to do that during these national emergencies and even in our own personal emergencies, we tend to cry out more. 
But I have to tell you, 15 years ago, I didn't really understand prayer. I didn't understand what it was. I didn't understand God's intent for it, how to, how to really engage in it in a biblical way. And so for me, and much of my prayer of that day, and, and often days after that, was simply, Lord, would you do this? Lord, would you do that? Lord, would you take care of this? Would you fix this? This is uncomfortable. Lord, would you change it? Like total misunderstanding of what prayer is. Now, there is a place for us to ask God for the, and, and request to be made, obviously. But there's so much more of the heart of God that we discover in prayer. I want to talk about that. I want to talk about this morning more about the why of prayer. Next week, we're going to talk more about how and getting into that. And I want to remind you and encourage you on September 20th, we're going to pray together as a church. And that Tuesday evening, we're going to gather together and just call on his name. And sometime in the word and worship and prayer. And you say, I'm not sure I know how that, what that looks like or, or what I'm supposed to do. You don't have to do anything. Just come and be part of. But I will tell you this, that Jesus' disciples, they, ha- they hung out with him. And of all the things that they asked him to teach them, or they could have asked him to teach them, do you remember what they did ask him to teach? Lord, teach us how to what? Pray. They watched Jesus pray and they realized that what they understood about prayer and how they practiced it was inadequate. Folks, I'm telling you that there is so much more to prayer than you and I, I think, have, have discovered, even at this point. And I have grown in it. I can tell you personally, I have grown in it. There's still so much more that I believe God wants to teach me about what prayer is. Now, he says, Jesus says, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all people, for all nations. It's going to be characterized by prayer. I want you to turn back with me in Gen- to Genesis, in Genesis chapter 4. How many of you have ever heard of something called the law of first mention? Have you ever heard that term, the law of first mention? Some of you have. When you, when you study the Bible and, and they teach you hermeneutics, which is just a big word for interpretation, but when you study it, there, there are different processes, ways they teach you to study the Bible. And ways so that you can interpret it accurately so that you don't take things out of context. And one of the things that, that I was taught years and years ago was this law of first mention. Now, I'll tell you, I don't like the term law. Law to me is a little strong, but I do think there's a principle here. So I would call it the principle of first mention uh, more than the law. But either, either way you go about it, the law of first mention simply states that the first time a subject or a word is brought up in God's word, that God reveals his heart about that matter in a broad, general way, the first time you ever see it mentioned in Scripture. Let me give you an example. In Genesis chapter 2, God creates man, he creates woman, and he creates marriage. The first time we see marriage is in Genesis chapter 2. And God said, I'm going to have a man leave his, his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. God lays out for us, the first time marriage is ever mentioned, he lays for, out for us his blueprint for marriage, what it's supposed to look like. A man and a woman, leaving father and mother, coming together, this union now taking precedent over every other human relationship. All right? And he goes on, what God has joined together, we don't put, we don't put it apart. They, Jesus repeats this in Matthew chapter 22, and then you see it again in Ephesians chapter 5, where Paul mentions it. But it's laid out for the first time in Genesis chapter 2. All right? Law of first mention. In, I think it's Genesis 14, um, the first time we talk about war, it says there that there were these kings who came up against Sodom and Gomorrah, the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah. And so you have these five kings who unite together to come against the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah. 
And it says they made war. They had war together. There's a principle that God begins to lay out for us about war. Do you realize that anytime you have more than one king, you have a war? If you have more than one king in your life, you have a war. If you have more than one king in your home, and by the way, that's not the father or the mother. Jesus is the king. All right. But you can only have one king. If you have more than one king, you have a war. It's a principle that God lays out and you see it all the way through scripture. When you start talking about war, you're going to have multiple kings because he lays that principle out. Anytime you've got more than one king, you have a war. So you see this principle and there are many, many other examples I give you. The first time that prayer is talked about is in Genesis chapter four. This is after Cain has murdered Abel. And God has blessed Adam and Eve and she has conceived and bears another son. It says here that she bore the son Seth. And then God blesses Seth and he has a son. To Seth also a son was born and he called his name Enosh. At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. At that time, they began to call on his name. They began to pray. They began to cry out. Lord, you see people calling on his name. By the way, this is God's purpose and his plan. And I'm going to show you right here in the scripture. It's God's purpose and his plan for all time that people would call on his name. That people would pray. That we would instinctively, automatically, almost like breathing without thinking, that we would call on him. Not just when it's bad, but just in the normal everyday life. And we're going to talk about that some this morning. Seth was also was born and he had a son. Now Seth means, by the way, Abel is, I want you to see what happens here. Abel is the righteous son who dies because of the sin of, of the other son, all right, of another. Cain, his sin, his, his wicked heart, he kills Abel. So you have a son who dies, a righteous son who dies. You have a son raised up, resurrected, if you will, in his place, which, by the way, that's what Seth means, appointed in his place. So you have a son, Seth, raised up, resurrected in his place. And then he has a son named Enosh. Enosh's name means mankind. I want you to see the spiritual picture in this because God doesn't do anything by accident. So the first time he talks about prayer, God says, through the righteousness of my son who died and rose again, he's going to give birth to a people, mankind, who will call on my name. I want you to understand that God's plan all along has been that through the relationship we have with God the Father because of Jesus, because of his son, that he intended that his plan for us as believers was to be a people that would pray, that would call on his name, that it would be, you say, well, we're supposed to share the gospel. Yes, we are, but not without praying. We're supposed to, we're supposed to read the Bible. Yes, you are, but not without praying. We're supposed to come to church. Yes, you are, but not without praying. We're supposed to, all of these good things that we can do, yes, they, we have all this instruction, but I want you to understand the atmosphere, the foundation, if you will, for all of this, the Lord laid down and said, I want it to be prayer. I want it to be a people who call on my name. And you say, okay, well, we're supposed to pray so that we can ask God to do whatever it is we think he should do or we want him to do in a given situation. That is a very small part of what prayer is. It is a part, but a very small part of prayer. As a matter of fact, let me let you see it in a little bit bigger way. In the New Testament, we have, um, as a matter of fact, we read this passage in prayer this morning, 1 Timothy, I believe it's in chapter 2, where he says that, he said, I want my children, believers everywhere, I want you to have supplication, that's a request, prayer, that's a general attitude, 
intersection, intercession, we're going to talk about intercession for a minute, and thanksgiving for all people. This is what I want you to do. As a matter of fact, Paul is writing by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to Timothy, this young pastor in the church. He said, as you're, as you're establishing this young church, as you're leading them, Timothy, understand that, that it is my desire, Paul saying, but it is God's desire that his people, that they be characterized by supplications, by prayer, by intercession, by thanksgiving. That's what they're to look like. If people come along, sometimes people come in and say, you know, it's really special what God's doing here. Can I tell you, I believe that much of what you sense and see today is because God began to teach us as leadership what it means to pray. That's why whatever it is you experience when you come, whatever it is you see and you think that's of God, God's moving, he's doing something there, is because he began to teach his people how to pray. Intercession is an interesting word. In the Greek and in the Hebrew, it literally means to light upon. To, to come upon by chance. Um, you go to the mall uh, or wherever you shop and you're, you're going along and all of a sudden you see somebody that you know and you stop and you have a conversation. That's intercession. That's the Greek word and the Hebrew word for intercession. You had not planned on meeting this person. It wasn't like you called and set it up and said, hey, let's meet together out in front of Dillard's. No, this was by chance, if you will. It wasn't planned on your part, but it was planned on God's part. See, there's nothing by chance on his part, but there are a lot by chance. Abraham Lincoln made this statement, I think in his second inaugural, when he said, I claim not to have controlled events, but confess plainly that events have controlled me. Well, there's a lot of wisdom in that. He recognized the fact that most of our life happens to us unplanned. We didn't choose it. We didn't plan it. We didn't coordinate it or order it. It happens. And what really drives us crazy is if we happen to be one of those who thinks I can control all of life, I can plan it all out, you're going to realize really quickly you're going to lose your mind. You're going to go nuts. We're going to have to lock you up. All right? Because so much of life is unplanned on our part. It's outside of our control. How many of you have ever been in a car accident? How many planned it? Not a one. Now, you may have planned for the event of it. You may have insurance and all those. Hopefully, you do have insurance and all those things because it's the law. Um, but you didn't plan the accident. There's much in your life that you don't plan. Much in my life we don't plan. It happens. We're walking through life and we light upon a situation that in that situation, the Lord wants us to engage in and begin to pray. This is what he calls intercession. See, this began to open up an understanding for me that was so much bigger because generally when I came to the Lord to pray, it was about a specific thing. I had a certain list or I had a certain desire. And so I'm going to come and I'm going to talk to God about this thing. And that is a part of prayer. That's part of the supplication that he talks about there. But intercession is a, a, a much broader, bigger thing. I'm walking through life and all of a sudden I encounter a situation I hadn't planned on or expected. But now in that moment, I have an opportunity to engage with God. God, what are you doing in this? How do you want me to pray? What would you like me to pray for? What would you like me to believe you for in this? What would you like me to hear from you in this conversation, this dialogue that's taking place? Can I tell you that some of the greatest work that God has done in my life spiritually have come in these times of intercession? These times where I wasn't necessarily expecting it, but I came into a situation and I stopped and cried out to the Lord and the Lord in that began to speak to me and he began to change my heart. I turn back, you may already still be, you may still be there in Genesis, but go back with me to Genesis chapter 28. I'm going to show you this word intercession. 
Now, in the Hebrew, it's the word pagah, all right? Uh, and it's translated a number of different ways. It's used about 45 times, but in the Greek, it's intercession. In English, it's intercession. It's a Greek word. So anyway, but we don't care about all that, really. Um, in Genesis 28, Jacob is running for his life. He has tricked Esau. Esau is not happy. Esau is a hunter, strong man, knows how to kill things. And Jacob is running for his life. He's been sent away. Go back to your family. And on his way back to his family and headed to Laban, he doesn't know, but that's where he's headed. He stops. And it says there in Genesis 28, verse 11, I believe. Let me turn over here. I told you to turn. I didn't turn. Genesis 28, verse 11. Let's start with me in verse 10. Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he came to a certain place. He came. There, he came to a certain place. Right there is the word, Pagah. Some of, if you have like King James, it says he, he lighted upon a place. He, he, he's walking along, he's traveling, and he looks and he thinks, you know, it's getting dark. This is as good a place as any to spend the night. So I think I'll stop here. It says he got some stones, made himself a pillow. Didn't sound very comfortable, but, you know, he, he, he bedded down for the night there. In his mind, by chance, but not in God's mind. God was planning. You know what happens there. He has the dream, the, the, the ladder headed, going to heaven, and literally it says this is the, the gateway to heaven. This is the house of God. From now on, this place is going to be called Bethel, Bethel, house of God. And there's this encounter. And notice what it says, though. It says there in this passage, Jacob, he said, God was here, but I did not know it. I did not know it. Do you know what prayer does? It allows me to walk into a situation where I didn't know God was there and at work, and I begin to see God there at work. That's what prayer does. That's what intercession does. It allows me to walk into a situation where at first glance, I can't see God anywhere. But as I begin to intercede, as I begin to call on his name, as I begin to listen to what he wants to say to me and what he revealed to me, I begin to see God at work in a place where I never saw him before. And I can tell you that part of this is God doing the things that we ask him to do, seeing his provision, seeing him answer a prayer quickly. Don't you love it when God answers a prayer quickly? All right? Isn't that great? Why don't you turn to the person next to you and say, I love it when God answers quickly. Yeah, just tell them, I love it when God answers quickly. Now turn to the person on the other side and say, but he doesn't always do that. No, he doesn't. Does he? It would be great if, okay, I pray now and 14 minutes from now God answered it. And it, boom, there it is. And we've all had those experiences where in the, in the moment you're praying, God answers. Or real quickly thereafter, God answers. But some of you have been praying about things for 10, 15, 20, 30 years. And God still doesn't seem to have answered. So we know that there are those times. The, the reason I say to you that prayer is so much more than just asking God to do something and receiving it from him is that what happens to you and me if I keep on approaching God, coming to the Lord, even though it's been 10, 15, 20, 30 years? What happens? He changes me in that process. He causes something to happen within me that I cannot explain. Can I tell you one of the things I love so much about prayer? And to what used to be a chore to me, and something I really hated is now. I don't want to go. I don't want to over. I don't want to exaggerate. Pastors are known for doing that. I don't want to exaggerate. But it is almost like breathing to me to pray now. Almost. 
There are times when, like this morning where I try to man up and tough it out. And then the Lord's like, what are you doing? Just talk to me about this. But prayer becomes such a part of your life. And again, it happens at set times and specific times. But it also happens when I didn't plan on it. As a matter of fact, most of my praying these days happens when I'm like Jacob. I lighted upon a place. I wasn't really planning on it. All of a sudden, wait a second. I think I'll, I should stop right here. I think the Lord and I should talk a little bit right now. It happened, And this can be about everything in your life. Every situation. You've got a person at work where it's not going so well. Or a situation at work where it's not going so well. Lord, what do you want to say to me right now? What do you want to do with me? And, and maybe he gives you one of those 14-minute answers and you're all excited. And maybe he's actually doing a much deeper work in you. Where he's changing you. He's transforming you from the inside out. Someone told me here a couple weeks ago. Someone I've known for a long time, years. They said, Troy, you really are not the man that you were 20 years ago. <laughs> yeah, I amen that. <laughs> My wife is sitting there saying, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Can I tell you that I know that there is much God is still doing in me, but I also know that that statement is true. And I'll tell you that one of the primary things that God has used in my life is a greater understanding of what prayer is and how to talk to Him. And it, has, it is transformative in its nature. Let me show you. And again, I, I apologize to the overhead people because most of these verses I didn't give to them. So um, they're just coming, okay? Turn with me over to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. There's a verse here that if I start quoting it, I bet you everybody in here can finish it for me. It goes like this. For we know that all things work together, what? For good. To those who love God and are the called according to His purpose. Right? We know that verse, right? We know it. We've used it. People quote it all the time. Have you ever stopped to look at the context of that verse? Back up with me a couple verses. That verse is 28, Romans 8, 28. Back up with me a couple verses to verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit, and by the way, there's a whole bunch before this likewise. When you see likewise, there's more before it, but we're not going to take the time right now to go look at it. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But it's assumed that we're praying. But, but what he's writing here, you're praying, you just don't know what to pray for. <laughs> so you're praying. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. So the Spirit's interceding for us. He's also producing intercession in and through us. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit. Because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. You ever worry about praying the will of God? The Scripture says here that the Spirit will cause me to pray according to His will. And He'll intercede for me at times even when I don't know what the will of God is. By the way, I have found that very helpful in praying to come to the Lord and say, Lord, I don't know what your will is in this. I know what mine is, but I don't know what yours is. But you said that your spirit would pray for me even when I didn't know what your will is. And that you would do a work in me and you would transform me in that. Now notice he goes on, and we know that, that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. That's the verse we just we quoted, verse 28. Look at verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to what? To be conformed 
to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Okay. If you've been in church around Christianity any length of time and someone asks you, okay, what is Jesus' goal in your life as a Christian? What is, his, what is his plan? What does he want to do in you? What does he want to make you look like? We would all say he wants us to look like what? Like, like him, like Jesus. He wants to change us into his image. But do you under, And that's what he says here. All things are working together for good. He's predestined. He's changing us into his image. But what's the context of both of those passages of Scripture? It is prayer. Prayer. I'm telling you that God, in God's plan and his economy, that the, and again, I'm, I don't want to overstate this, but this is my opinion. The greatest weapon, the greatest tool that God put at your disposal and my disposal for this transformation process so that we look more like Jesus is prayer. He says, I'll change you in prayer. I'll change you. I'll tell you one of the reasons is because we can fake it with each other and nobody be the wiser. You know, we come in here. Some of you are faking it this morning. You fought on the way here, but right now you're all smiles. I mean, woo. And you're thinking, I get out the door, I'm going to let them have it again. But right now we're all, we can fake it with each other and not everybody, the people around you, they don't even know it. But you can't fake it with God. And so I come in, we've done this before, I've shared this before, but it, when Lori and I first, when, before we got married, they, were, they did a number of, you know, they do shower, wedding showers and all that kind of stuff. But they did one for us that was a couple shower. And there was this older couple from her church that she grew up in. And I'll never forget, he sat me down and he said, Troy, when you and Lori fight, when you have a disagreement about something, he said, I want you to get two chairs facing each other. I want you to sit knee to knee. I want you to take her by the hand. He said, I want you to pray with her. And I looked at him and said, oh, yeah, that's nice. It's a real spiritual thing to say. I did not understand until I actually tried to do that how powerful that is. Have you ever tried to pray to God and be mad at your spouse at the same time? It is a very, very challenging thing to do. Because if the Holy Spirit resides within you, he's screaming at you, hypocrite, hypocrite, hypocrite. That's what he's doing. And so in the process of doing that together, something changes. And then you begin to just kind of pour your heart out and say, oh God, I'm trying to do this, but I'm just, I'm upset. I just think this is awful or this is a bad decision or I'm not getting what I want or whatever it is. But you begin to get down to the heart of the matter. It's like, Lord Jesus, will you do something with this? With this mess in me? Prayer is transformative when it's done the way God intended it. You're walking through your day Today, tomorrow, whenever. You're going along minding your own business. Just everything's fine. And all of a sudden, the Lord's going to allow an intersect. There's going to be an intersection of your life with something that He's got pl a plan for. You didn't have a plan for it. It didn't make any sense to you. And He's going to say, oh, by the way, I've just given you a motivation to come talk to me. And I'm going to do something in you when you talk to me. I may do something about the situation, but I'm definitely going to do something in you. And that's what I've discovered with the Lord is that the more I pray. He, he sometimes does something immediately about the situation. Sometimes he does something later about the situation, but all the time he does something in me. All the time. Now, it doesn't have to be elaborate. You say, Troy, I'm not a good prayer. 
Do you know English? Can you speak? Are there times when you can express thought and some kind of, you know, here's the neat thing with God, you don't even have to express it in any way that makes sense. You don't have to. Isn't that what Romans 8 says? Isn't that what he says? He says that there are times we don't know how to express what's going on in our heart and the Spirit makes intercession for us. Because we don't know, all we can do is groan. Have you ever done that? You just got before the Lord and just groaned. It's like, Lord, I don't even know. I just All I want to do is moan, groan. But he somehow interprets the groans. He knows how to do that. It doesn't have to be fancy. How many times have you gotten before the Lord? It's like, Lord, I don't know what to ask you for. Lord Jesus, would you just come back? Would you just come back? We've all had that experience, right? It's like, Lord, in the midst of this, just come back. And then I won't even have to think about this anymore. See, he knows how to interpret all that. So what is the key when we come to prayer? Next week, we're going to talk about how to pray. We're going to talk about some things that God's taught us along the journey here. But here's the foundation. Here's the thing that you've got to understand about prayer. Jesus laid it out for us. Matthew chapter 6. This is the last passage we're going to look at together. Matthew chapter 6. This is part of Jesus' first teaching, the Sermon on the Mount. And he's warning them. He says in verse 1, Matthew 6, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. So that's the context. I read that one. Now jump with me down to verse 5. That was verse 1. He, the whole premise that Jesus is talking about, beware of making a show of righteousness, trying to appear to be righteous or self-righteous. Verse, verse 5, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now I want to stop here because there's a lot of misunderstanding about this verse. I've heard people tell me this verse means we should never pray in public. We should only have private prayer. That is a misinterpretation of this verse and what it's saying. You've taken it out of context. Remember, I read verse 1 so you'd understand the context. The context of this passage is Jesus saying, don't make a show of righteousness. Don't try to be self-righteous. Don't make other people think you're better than what you really are. All right? Don't try to pretend. Don't, don't, even if it's, I'm doing a real work in you, don't go around trying to get people to praise you for how great a work I'm doing in you. That's the context of this. And so when Jesus is writing to them, he's saying, don't stand in front of everybody and make a show like the Pharisees do because they want to get praise right then. He's saying what happens in prayer should happen between you and the Lord in your heart. Now, I can do that in a group of 40 people praying. I can be genuine where I'm not trying to do it for their approval, for their praise. For I don't even care if they're there, honestly. It's simply between me and the Lord. Lord, do a work in me. That's what Jesus is saying. By the way, I would say to you that one of the great tragedies of the American church is that we have privatized prayer. We have made it more about private prayer. 
than public prayer or corporate prayer. There is a power in corporate prayer. All through this book, you'll see them gathering together and pray. The church started in a prayer meeting in Acts. It was, they were praying when the church began. When Peter gets locked up at the beginning of the early church and he's their leader, all right? They lock him up in jail. The church is praying when God releases him and Peter shows up, knocks on the door and remember little Rhoda, little Rose comes and opens the door and sees him, runs back and says, Peter's door. And they said, oh, it's just his ghost. He must be dead. They're praying and don't even believe that God answered their prayer. But they were praying. I'm telling you that corporate prayer is all through, especially in the New Testament. The worst thing that you and I can do is privatize prayer. Now, should you pray in private? Absolutely. You should pray all the time. But do not neglect praying with brothers and sisters. One of the reasons is, is how God teaches us how to pray. I have learned so much in prayer by praying with other brothers and sisters who God just blesses me as, as I see them. It's like, it's like God just kind of came down as they're praying. And I, I, how many know what I'm talking about? You just have been encouraged and blessed by other people as they encounter the Lord. And it's almost like we get to kind of be a part of that. Come in and join. And you say, well, what if I don't do it right? See, again, we're thinking about us. But here's the good news. You can show up in a prayer meeting here at LifePoint, any one of them, this corporate that's going on, and you don't have to open your mouth. You don't have to say a word. Nobody's going to say, oh, it's your turn. You know, squeeze you on the legs. your turn. We're going around the circle. It's your turn. Nobody's going to do that to you. You can sit there the whole time, never open your mouth. But what I do pray for you and what I believe will happen is your heart will open. You'll begin to talk to the Lord. And this thing called prayer will seem a whole lot less scary to you. You'll begin to realize, hey, this is, this is as natural as breathing. This isn't as hard as I made it out to be. But Jesus says, I want you to come with that kind of heart in that way. Notice what he says. He says, and when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases. Some of you are worried. I don't know how to say the right words. Some of you say the right things and they just, and by the way, my prayers are really short and some of you pray for a while. Thank God that your prayers are short. I need some more short prayers. I mean, I love short prayers, all right? Some of us wax too eloquent. We just go on and on and on and on. He's saying, don't just say words for the sake of saying words. Get to the point. Just pour it out there. He says, when you pray, do not heap up any phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. I love that. We think we're telling God, we're informing God about something. He already knows. He says, this isn't the point. The, the point of prayer is not so you can give me information. I already know. And it's not primarily so I can give you an answer to whatever it is you think you need. He will do that. He can do that. But his primary point is that he has relationship with us. And we have relationship with him. That's the point of prayer. It's relational. We're going to look at this more as we continue on next week. I want you to bow your heads with me. I'm going to ask Lori to come pray, play for us. Come pray. Well, she can pray too, but she's going to play. And, um, and I'm going to ask my prayer partners if you guys could be down here toward the front. You ever wonder why we have prayer partners? Why we talk about this at the end of every service? Because I really do believe in this. Believe that prayer 
being able to to bring whatever it is that's on our heart, whatever that we're struggling with, to be able to bring it to the Lord, and often to have people to do that with, to have someone. Because I'll tell you what happens sometimes when we pray by ourselves. We get we get thoughts in our head that we that really seem true and they seem right. But in the process of praying with someone, I actually say it out loud, and then I think, wait a second, that's wrong. That's not right. It's amazing how the Lord will reveal that to you sometimes just hearing it. But I want you to do something with me right now. Would you be willing to let the Holy Spirit take you on adventures in prayer that you've not had up to this point? Would you be willing to do that? Would you let Him put a desire in you maybe that you don't have today? He said, Pastor, you're talking about prayer. I don't have any desire to pray. I get it. I didn't either. And sometimes, on occasion, I don't now. But I've walked with him enough in this journey to know that when I don't want to, the thing I need is prayer. I need to go to him and say, Lord, I don't even want to talk to you. Would you be willing just to say, Holy Spirit, do a deeper work of prayer in me. I'm willing. I'm open. My heart is open. And maybe you... Right now you pray, you're an intercessor, that's not a problem for you. And yet, you know, the Lord wants to take you to places you haven't been yet. Just ask Him. Say, Lord, would you do a deeper work in me? I'm open. Don't you ask Him something else? Lord, whatever's hindering me in my prayer life, whatever's standing in the way, Lord, by your Spirit, would you deal with that too? Would you address it? It may be thoughts and beliefs you have. You may not believe you're worthy to have Him listen or answer or even to come and ask. You may not believe it does any good or that it matters. Whatever it is, You may say, well, I've got sin in my life and I know it's sin and so I can't come pray. See, that's a lie. How else are you and I going to have power and have the Holy Spirit deal with sin? Because I bring it to the Lord. Lord, here it is. Deal with this in me. Lord, with your people this morning, would you cause our hearts to be open? Would you make us a people that call on your name? That we would be known for supplication, for prayer, for intercession, for thanksgiving. That we'd have that reputation, Lord, that you would create that desire in us and that reputation among us and outside of here. That Lord, we... Lord, I want to go on greater adventures in prayer than I've known up to this point. Lord, would you... Would you convince us today by your Spirit that the way you transform us, one of the primary ways you transform us, so that we look like you is because we spend time with you just talking.
and listen. That that's your transformation process. You told us in 1 Corinthians, beholding is becoming. The more we see you, the more we hear you, the more we're changed to look like you. So Lord, convince us of that today. Some may say, well, no, I just, I just need study. Or I just need discipline. Or I just need to work harder. Or do more service. Lord, all those things are great. Nothing wrong with any of them. But this is the method you've chosen. To take your written word and to speak it to us in a way that changes and transforms us. So Lord, do that in us today. Lord, there's many with us who didn't start this journey with us 10, 15 years ago. They've come in more recently, part of this body. I pray, Lord, that for each one, that you'd allow them to, to see and experience the heart of what it is you've been doing here for all these years, what you're continuing to do. Lord, I pray that you'd allow them to go in and have adventures in prayer that are beyond anything they've ever known. Lord, we want it for all of us. Help the American church, Lord. Somehow, prayer has been relegated in, in general in the church here in America. And yet, Lord, I believe that you are doing a work, that you're drawing your people back, that we would call on your name. So, Lord, would you do that work here, but multiply it. Multiply it through this county, across this state, through this country. Lord, many, many of our brothers and sisters around the world, they get this, they understand it, they live it every day. Help us here in the United States get it. Do a work in us, Lord. Lord Jesus, thank you. We're going to dismiss in just a moment. But if there is anything going on in your life, let me tell you, if it's big enough for you to think about or worry about or fret over or try to figure out, it's probably big enough for you to pray about. Would you give us the opportunity to pray with you? That's why we have prayer partners just to be able to lift it before the Lord. We don't have the answers, but He does. We don't have the power, He does. But we join with you in crying out to Him. And so, Lord, I would pray for anyone here today that we would not walk out of here carrying the same need, the same burden that we walked in with, but, Lord, that we would bring it to you and have you speak to us and have you minister. Lord, thank you. Thank you for what you're doing and what you will do. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. If you need prayer, we're here. God bless you. You're dismissed.